Welcome, 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 everyone, and shalom. I hope you're all having an awesome, awesome evening or day, wherever you are in the world. Tonight, we're going to be getting into very interesting um, discussions because we're going to be reading uh, Exodus chapter 31, 32, 33, and Lord willing, we'll make it all the way to 34. There are some very awesome things in this portion, so I'm really looking forward to this. Let's get into Exodus chapter 31. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, there's a passage in here in, uh, not in this chapter specifically, but hopefully we'll get to it tonight, uh, that, that really sticks out to me and it stuck out to me right from the very beginning. Like when I, after I got saved and I read that, I thought, oh, wow, look that, look at that. And, uh, it, it really just stuck in my mind. And I will, I will point that out to you guys when we get to it. Exodus chapter 31, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Okay, i got to stop here for, for a second. Because some Christians believe, and I actually, I'm, maybe there was a time in my life that I believed this as well. But I know that some Christians believe that the Spirit of God was not poured out until Acts chapter 2. And that's not true at all. The Spirit of God was, uh, I used to believe, I think I used to, it's been a while, but I know a lot of Christians believe that the Spirit of God never really filled people until Acts chapter 2. That's when, that's when the Spirit of God filled, you know, that's when people received the Spirit of God and, and the Spirit of God came into people or being baptized in the Spirit. But that is not true. The Spirit of God has filled His people right from the very beginning. And the only difference, um, you know, pre-Acts 2 and post-Acts 2, the only difference is pre-Acts chapter 2, I mean, before the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, in regards to, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. So before that, the Spirit of God was poured out upon mainly just the children of Israel, the house of Israel, and the Jewish people, mainly, okay? You can say there are some, some exceptions, but hey, when you are joined, when you come to the faith, when you come and uh, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when you put your faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are grafted in anyway. You are part of Israel. Even spiritually speaking, you are part of Israel. But before Acts chapter 2, before that was fulfilled. The Spirit of God was poured out mainly upon the children of Israel, not so much upon the Gentiles. And that's what it was all about. When it says in Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit of God came upon all that were there, um, and it was, a, it was a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. It means I will pour out my Spirit upon the Gentiles as well as the Jews. That's what it means by all flesh as opposed to just, quote-unquote, some flesh, <laughs> as, as it would be uh, just the Jewish people or just the children of Israel. So that's why Yeshua instructed his disciples. Uh, in, when he gave them the Great Commission, he instructed them to wait in, uh, in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father being the fulfillment 
of Joel chapter two, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he said, after that, then go out and preach the gospel to all the world, which means to all the Gentiles. So that makes sense that Jesus would tell his disciples, go and preach the gospel, the same gospel I preached to you. I trained you guys. What he was saying more or less is, I trained you guys for the past three years. You are pretty much fully trained now. So I want you guys to go out and make disciples. I want you guys to go out and preach the gospel. But first, wait until the pouring out of the Spirit upon all flesh. Why? Because you need that quote-unquote anointing. You need that anointing for the Gentiles. You need to wait until that is fulfilled. Then you can go out in the power of the Spirit to the to quote unquote all flesh, to the Gentiles. So, Exodus chapter thirty-one verse three proves that it, we that it's that God did fill people with the Spirit before Acts chapter two. As God said, I have filled him, that is Bezalel, with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works in uh, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. So that's that's very interesting. Especially that the fact that that quote-unquote anointing that Bezalel had was the anointing to, to be a craftsman in, in making these articles of the temple and helping you know uh, to uh, put the temple together, so to speak, in that sense. So that's what the Spirit of God filled him. Like, when the Spirit of God fills a person, it's for a purpose. It's not just to give you, um, it's not just to make you feel good, okay? It's for a purpose. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, it's for a purpose. God has something for you to do. God has a work for you to do. Exodus 31, verse 6, And I, indeed I, have anointed him with him, excuse me, Oholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I will put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. In the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, garments here in the footnote, woven garments, woven garments of the ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, and the holy anoint and, and excuse me, and the anointing oil and sweet incense. For the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths, okay, there's, there's, it's a plural here, right? Not just one kind of Sabbath. There's different kinds of Sabbaths. Uh, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. It is for a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So let me just stop here for a second. Uh, in the footnote, consecrates you. Okay. So the Sabbath, the Sabbath, a Sabbath is a sign of God's sanctification on you. That he sanctifies you, that he consecrates you. So the Sabbath is actually a proof of that. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does not, excuse me, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath rest a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Again, uh, notice it, it, it's very specific here that the seventh day is the Sabbath day. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign, again, again, it says it's a sign, between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Again, it's, it's, it's almost like God is saying, hey, be like me. Be like me. Remember in, in another place in the scriptures it says, uh, God said, be holy, for I am holy. It's almost like he's saying, keep the Sabbath, for I kept the Sabbath. Like, take my example. Follow my example. Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the, with the finger of God. Okay, so the next chapter, Exodus chapter 32, the gold calf, big subject right there. But before we get in there, let me see what we have here for... Um, Yeah, let me see here. For those of you on TikTok, by the way, if you're wondering what I'm reading from, I am reading from the Bible. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 32, and I'm also streaming live on YouTube simultaneously. Uh, YouTube, I can share my screen. So if you're interested in seeing what I'm doing, uh, reading with me, go over to YouTube and look me up. Uh, just look for, search for Christopher Enoch, and you'll find that I'm live right now on YouTube. Okay, so let's continue with Exodus chapter 32, the gold calf. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people worship a gold calf kind of thing today, and they don't even know about it. We'll talk about that in just a minute. I'm talking about people in church, okay? I'm talking about whole churches, okay? They worship a kind of a gold calf. And again, we'll talk about this in just a moment, but let's read this first. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said, come, make us gods, okay, Elohim, I guess I would say, I check the footnote here, or a God that shall go before us. For as 
For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Now, a quick little side note here. Don't, don't forget, this is a, an, a good point here. It didn't take long for the children of Israel to fall into, into corruption when Moses was gone. Remember, he was gone at, at you know, uh, no longer than 40 days. I mean, just days. He was gone for just days, and within days, uh, they were already fallen into, into sin, and they were already falling into idolatry and all kinds of stuff. It reminds me of Hegesippus, one of the early writers, the second century, I believe it was, uh, when he wrote about the condition of the church, even way back, like 1,800 years ago, okay? Um, he said that the church fell into corruption as soon as the 12 disciples passed away. It doesn't take long. When you've got, when you got like real true men of God that leave the scene, even if it's just like Moses, Moses didn't pass away here. He just went away for a little bit. He just, he just went on a, you know, sabbatical here, so to speak, right? He just, he just went up the mountain for a few days, right? Um, and just in that short amount of time, the children of Israel fell into corruption. That's very important to understand because we see this, this cycle over and over again through history from the Garden of Eden all the way till today, right? Because in the Garden of Eden, obviously God walked away for a little bit because he wasn't there. And later on, he comes around. Adam, where are you? How long did it take Adam and Eve to fall into sin? After God stepped out for a second. How long did it take? One John two twenty six asked the question uh, regarding the Sabbath: Was the any in any works added? Um, let's just have a look here. Do you have a? Mm, let's go back here. Yeah, um, I'll just pull this up here for those of you on YouTube to, to, to look at this. For those of you on TikTok, what I'm doing is I'm reading from Exodus chapter 31. I'm just kind of uh, referring back. Um, uh, so verse 14 and vo verse 15, it says, uh, whoever does any work, okay? And, and you are absolutely correct in that one, John 2, 26. We see that the word any is in, is in italics, okay? So... It depends on the translation you are reading, but if you are reading the Bible and you see um, words that are in italics, like these, like these words right here, it is, you know, um, in this word here is, when you see that, that's trying, that, that tells you that those words are not in the original manuscripts. They're not in the original Hebrew. So this word any was added. And that's a very good point, 1 John 2.26. Thanks for pointing this out because that's, it doesn't say any work in, in, the, uh, in the original. It just says simply work. Okay. So um, let's just go. Uh, okay. 
Eric says on YouTube, I'm realizing that I've been following a golden calf most of my life and would truly love to be saved once and for all. Yes. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, we will, uh, we will talk about this in just a minute. Um, some of you might be thinking, what are you talking about golden calf? What are you talking about gold calf? Hey, there it, it's true. I mean, the church today in the corrupt state that it's in. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about every single believer and every single Christian out there. No, I'm talking about generally speaking, the quote unquote organized religion part of the, the church. Much of it, it, they are worshiping a golden calf. And <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, let's read about it first and we'll, we'll talk about how that is possible. Exodus chapter 32, verse 2. Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Now, before we get any further, why did he make a calf? Why was it a calf? Why wasn't it an, an elephant? Why wasn't it a tree? Why wasn't it a star? You know, why does it have to be a calf? Why Why wasn't it uh, like a golden ball, like a, a sphere? Uh, it could have been anything. Could have been a golden rod, a stick. Could have been anything. Why was it a calf? Now, it doesn't tell us the specifics and details here. But after reading this and studying it and, and, and thinking about it and meditating upon it so much, I do believe that the reason Aaron chose a calf out of all of the millions of things, billions of things he could have chose, the reason why he chose a calf is no coincidence. It's no. It wasn't just a random thing. He just didn't put a whole bunch of things in a bucket and shake it around and put pull a draw. Obviously, up until this point, we read about this the other night. God showed them heavenly visions. He showed them himself. He showed the people. He showed Aaron especially, Moses especially, Joshua. He showed, he showed his people visions of heaven. The sapphire stone, the, the sapphire, uh, as it were, like a sapphire under his feet. Talks about that just a, just a few chapters back. So they saw things. They saw the heavenly reality of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, all that thing. And that's why it said, that's why God said to Moses, I want you to build the tabernacle, your tabernacle on earth in the same pattern that, that I showed you in the vision. The same that you saw in, in, in the heavenly realms, in the spirit, as it were. Now, I do believe that they, they also saw the four living creatures. We read about it time a few times throughout throughout the Bible about the four living creatures that are around the throne of God. The four living creatures that more or less represent God. It's you know we have the eagle, we have the man, we have the lion, and we have the the calf, the young bull. And so, out of all of those four. Which one is the most docile and friendliest? Is it the lion? No. Is it a man? N no. 
Is it the eagle? No, I saw, you know, I saw um, a picture. Actually, I think it was a video. I think it was just last night of a huge eagle. It's like a huge eagle. And some people say that some of these eagles, they, they, they get like 10, 12 foot wingspans, huge eagle, not that friendly looking. If you know what I mean, it's not something you want to, you want to, you know, you feel comfortable in their, in his presence. You know what I mean? But a, but a calf is not as, a calf is not as fearsome as any of those other ones can be. A calf is so it, it can be very, very friendly, okay? Not so dangerous as any of the other three would be. So Aaron shows the calf out of all. So it's almost like seeker sensitive. Uh, out of all three, I'm not going to make a molden lion. I'm not going to make a molden eagle. I'm not going to make a golden, you know, a golden statue of a man. But a calf is more like it's more of um it's something that will just it can just adorn it can just adorn your your house your home your the, the the tabernacle the temple it can just adorn your life and it's just so docile looking it's not it doesn't look it it doesn't look uh, dangerous at all okay it just basically kind of blesses you especially a golden calf, because it doesn't do anything. It's just beautiful. And, you know, that's why I believe he chose the, the golden, he chose to make a calf. Now, let's just read here a few more, um, a few more verses. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and and Aaron made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord." Then they ro they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Okay, so this word "play" doesn't mean what you think it means. It means play in a sinful way. Okay, it's talking about sin here. Okay, it doesn't mean play as in a child. Okay, it's, it's talking about play as in sinful things. So they had a party, basically. It was one great big perverted party. It was one big, it was one big party. Okay. And how could they do that? Well, again, because the golden calf, the golden calf, it it it's a representation of one of the it, it it is a representation of a heavenly reality i guess aaron would be partially indirectly correct in the way he said like this is your god because the four living creatures are representative of god but that one the calf the young bull or the calf aaron didn't make it up but the thing is, the golden calf did not rebuke the people for their sin, did not tell the people to live holy, did not convict people of their sin. The golden calf just adorned their life 
like a beautiful, beautiful ornament. And that's the way it is with what I call today the golden calf Jesus. Because many churches, if not most, especially, I don't want to really, there are some churches that are better than others, but for the most part, there are a lot of churches that have the golden calf Jesus, what I would call. It look, it, it's they preach Jesus, they preach about Christ, they believe in Christ. But it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the reality. What they do is they make an image of the reality. Just like how Aaron made the image of the calf. It was an earthly representation with beautiful, it was a beautifully adorned golden representation of a heavenly reality of one of the living creatures. In the same way, a lot of churches today, they have a beautiful representation of a heavenly reality, which would be Yeshua. However, the Yeshua they portray, the, the, the Yeshua, they, the Jesus they believe in, is a golden calf Jesus. It's just an ornament in their life. It's just some beautiful belief or thing or in you know imaginary friend that exists in their life. But that golden calf Jesus, just like the golden calf, does not rebuke them for their sins, does not call them to holiness, does not really say anything to them except just beautifully just adorns their life. Just beautifully, it's just a beautiful ornament in their life. It looks like the real Jesus, and many people believe it is, just like how these people believed that this golden calf was the real God. Because Aaron said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Just like a lot of churches today say, this is the Jesus who saves your soul. Because you see, in the Torah, the, the story of the deliverance from bondage from Egypt is, is, a, is, a, is a shadow, if you would, a analogy, if you would, of, of our salvation. When the children of Israel were brought out of slavery from Egypt, that is a picture of a believer who was brought out of slavery to sin. When they go through the Red Sea, that is a picture of baptism. It's the story of the Exodus out of Egypt is the story of salvation for every believer today. So yes, that happened in history. That's a real thing that happened. However, it, it, it's not just a surface level thing. It's not just a piece of history. It's, it's something very deep. It's, it's a, there's a deep meaning to it. It's reminiscent of our salvation.
You have to get tired of sin. You have to get sick of sin. Just like how the children of Israel were sick of the bondage in Egypt and they're crying out to God. And God responded and set them free from their bondage as he's a God of freedom. In the same way, if you and I are truly saved, we are saved because we got sick of sin. We got, we got sick of it. We got, slick of, we got sick of being enslaved to sin. And we cried unto God. And God set us free. So this golden calf, you, you, you think, how can these people fall into such, how can they fall into such a thing like this? They saw, they were there at the base of Mount Sinai and they saw the glory of God, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They, they heard the voice of God. They saw God in that sense. They, they were terrified. They experienced the 12 plagues of, of, of Egypt. They experienced the dividing of the Red Sea and the great display of power and glory on Mount Sinai. They experienced all that, and yet they, they fell for this golden calf thing? And that's the way, that's what happens to a lot of people uh, who, they, they really get saved. They really get set free from sin. But Shortly thereafter, they do fall into a golden calf Jesus thing. Remember, the true Jesus of Scripture is not a tree-hugging hippie that's singing and hugging everybody. He said in John chapter 7, verse 7, he said, the world hates me. If he was the lovey-dovey, hippie kind of guy that everybody thinks he is today, why would the world hate him? The world would love him. He said why. He, he gave us the reason why the world hates him, he said. In John chapter 7, verse 7, he says, Because I testify, because I preach that their deeds are evil. It's not very, uh, it's not very popular to preach against the, the wicked sin of this world. That's the real Jesus. But today in churches, we have a golden calf Jesus. Oh, it looks just like you'd, you'd be, you could easily be tricked, deceived into thinking it is the real Jesus. Just like how these people, after all they saw, after all they've been through up until this point, they believe that that golden calf was the real deal. How could they do that? How could people go to church and believe that the, the Jesus as priest in church is the real deal? They redefine Jesus. They redefine the gospel. They redefine what love really is according to the scriptures. They redefine holiness. They redefine everything. Just like how Aaron redefined God and brought it into the golden calf. Oh, but it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It just doesn't really do anything, really. It doesn't really change your life. You love it, and it looks beautiful, and it's something you can just adore, the golden calf, just like the golden calf Jesus. It looks good. It's beautiful. It's something that you can just adore. 
but it's not the real deal. It's not the real deal. Someone on TikTok asked me if I can give a lesson on blowing the shofar. Uh, Lord willing, I will. I'm not tonight. I got this going on right now, but thank you for the uh, suggestion. That's that's very good. Thank you very much. Lord willing, I will. Okay, so let us, first of all, let us ourselves double check our own belief system, our own doctrine. Let's step back for a minute and just double check. Do I believe, am I worshiping a golden calf Jesus or am I worshiping the real Jesus? Just like those guys in Exodus chapter 32, they should have done that. They should have stepped back and said, oh, is this really the real thing? Is this the real deal? Is Is this the God that really had all that power that we experienced? It's like the golden calf Jesus that's preached today in church so much. What I mean by the golden calf Jesus, the Jesus that's just so lovey-dovey and he wouldn't call out sin, he wouldn't rebuke anybody at all. He would just adorn, he would just bless your life and that's it. But you got to step back and say, is this the real Jesus who set me free from sin, whose power and glory I experienced earlier on in my life? Is this the real one? Is this is this the real one or is this just a a clone of the real one. It's just, it, is this just the golden calf? Let's continue. Exodus chapter 32, verse 5. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it and made the proclamation. Okay, so we, we just read this here. And this is the thing here, um, verse 6, where it says, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And this is what happens when you have the golden calf Jesus in your life. It, it's it's easy to 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 party and play, quote unquote play. Again, that word play means a sinful play kind of play. It's easy to do this with the golden calf Jesus because the golden calf Jesus just you know he'll sit down and smoke a doob, smoke a doobie with you, you know, because that's the golden calf Jesus. Because he's just a loving dovey hippie that will just go around and kiss every cockroach that he sees. I mean, that's what a lot of people more or less. Believe. But if you're if the Jesus that's in your life is comfortable with this kind of behavior, then you've got the wrong Jesus. I'll say this again. If the Jesus that you believe in, if the Jesus that you know is comfortable with this kind of worldly behavior, you have the wrong Jesus. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How fast, how fast, how fast have they corrupted? So fast, very fast. Verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Oh boy, I tell you, we have a lot of Christians like this today, right? They turn aside quickly out of the way that God commands them with every excuse in the book why they don't have to obey God anymore, right? Every excuse in the book why it's okay to be an antinomian, why it's okay to 
Oh, it's all by faith. It's not by works anymore. Hmm. Yeah, really? That's not what the scriptures tell us. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought us, brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. In the footnote, stubborn. That's what it means, stubborn. Stubborn people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. God's like, let me, let me at them, let me at them. Let me alone. Leave me alone, Moses. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get them. Says God says, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them. See, that's our God is, is a consuming fire, right? This is um, in the footnote here, destroy them. And I will make of you a great nation. So he, he promises Moses. It's almost like God is like saying, hey, Moses, just let me at these guys. Get out of my way. I've had enough. Don't worry. If I destroy them all, don't worry, Moses. I'll make you into a great nation. Just let me at them. Verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Egyptians speak and say, he, ha uh, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants that they may inherit they shall inherit it forever so the lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people powerful that's powerful because look at we have moses was selfless here in the sense that he's like uh, i know god you can make me into a great nation you can take me and multiply me and all my descendants will be a great nation you can bless me with, almost like you blessed Jacob with all these different tribes, 12 tribes, and make them into a great nation. And, and you said you could do it for me. But Lord, it's, it's almost like he's like, but Lord, I, I love these people. Don't destroy these people. As wicked as they are, don't destroy these people. And then Moses quoted the word of God back to God. That's powerful as well. Moses interceded for the people, number one, and, and number two, he, he quoted God's word back to God. Think about doing that in prayer. That's why it's important I mean, when you're praying. And I think if, if you guys, if any of you are inclined to pray and you don't know how to pray, Pull out the scriptures. Start in the Psalms, okay, the book of Psalms. Because much of the Psalms is prayer, prayers to God. 
and start praying the Psalms. You are praying God's word back to him. And that's powerful. You are mirroring God. I've often wondered and I've been amazed at the fact that nobody on earth today claims to be Moses' descendants. We have people, many people, by the way, I've met people uh, who, cl who claim to be Aaron's descendants. I don't, I don't know how many people said they're Aaron's descendants I've, I've, I've met. They said that they can trace their lineage all the way back to Aaron. But why not Moses? What happened there? And I think that this is one of the factors that worked into the fact that Moses' descendants are almost non-existent now. God gave him a chance to be a great nation for all of his descendants to be multiplied in the earth. But Moses turned that down for the sake of his love for the children of Israel. Therefore, he basically forfeited his posterity for the sake of the rest of Israel. That's powerful. That's powerful. It's like God gave him a, a choice. Just let me at these people. I'm going to destroy them. Let me at them. Don't worry. Don't worry. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Moses kind of turned that away, turned it down, said, no, I don't want you to destroy these people. Keep these people. And it's almost in so doing, it's almost like Moses told God indirectly, no to making me a great nation too. Like, you know, that's as God, Moses told God indirectly, no to making him a great nation. That could be why we don't have any record of, or anybody has any record that they are the children of Moses, that Moses was their ancestor. And that's powerful. That's very, very powerful, people. And you see, once again, God hears the prayers of a righteous man. You know what I'm thinking? James 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Abraham prayed for Ishmael. As wild and as, <laughs> as much as what, would have, what became of, of Ishmael and his descendants, and knowing that, Abraham prayed for Ishmael and God heard his prayer, answered his prayer, and blessed Ishmael and his descendants. God said that Ishmael is a wild donkey of a man. I hear a wild donkey is very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. A wild donkey is very dangerous. But yet God blessed him. God blessed Ishmael. Not only just blessed him, but saved his life, sent an angel. Remember when he went off with Hagar and sent an angel to save his life. Why? All because of the prayer of Abraham. It is so 
powerful and important to pray. First of all, you know, make sure you're, you know, get right with God. Be a righteous man or righteous woman. Get right with God. Once you've repented from everything, once you've turned away from everything, once you've found that place in the Lord where you're like, now I'm walking with God. Now I'm doing what I should be doing. Your prayers are super, super powerful because God listens and hears. Remember in the book, in the in Psalms, we just mentioned Psalms earlier. It says that some prayers are not answered because of iniquity. It says, uh, it says in the Psalms that that God did not hear, will not hear prayer because you've you've regarded iniquity in your heart. Let's just go over there for a second here. I'll show you. This is one of the reasons, there are many reasons, but this is one of the reasons why. This is one of the reasons why some prayers are not answered. There are many. This is not the only reason. Don't get me wrong. But this this can be one. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, in other words, if I if I treasure sin. You know, if I hold sin in my heart, if I love sin in my heart, if I'm if I'm holding on to some sin, that word iniquity again means lawlessness, you know, something that's against God's law. If I'm holding that in my heart, if I'm hanging on to it, the Lord will not hear me. The Lord will not hear me. That's serious. That's serious. That's serious. So it's very, very important. Pray. Pray, 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 pray. Make sure you're not holding on to any sin. Let it go. Repent of it. And God will hear you. So the Lord relented, it says in verse 14. The Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Again, why? Well, Moses prayed. Verse 15, and Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. Now, don't forget, don't forget, guys, before we go too far, don't forget, Moses is a symbol or a type or a picture of God. We know this because Exodus chapter 7, verse 1 tells us this. Okay? Moses is like God, Aaron is like the prophet. And we know the tablets of the testimony represented the word of God. So the word of God, we know, uh, I'm sure those of you who are believers in Yeshua, you know that it says many places, uh, at least a few places, at least, that it says that the that this, uh, that Yeshua is called the word of God. He is the word of God in the flesh, so to speak. He His name is the word of God, as it says in Revelation. So. This picture of Moses coming down from the mountain with the, with the tablets in his hand is a picture of God coming down from heaven with Yeshua in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. And one side, on the one side and on the other side, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, again, remember, this is one big party. 
one big party they're doing here. They're eating, drinking. It's one big party, eating, drinking, feast, drinking, playing, play. Again, that's not talking about child play. It's talking about a different kind of play. And he said to Moses, this is a noise of war in the camp. Or excuse me, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. That's part of the quote unquote, quote and unquote play that, that they spoke of, the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. Now, this time, Moses is, is angry, right? Because when, when God saw it, God said to Moses, I'm, I'm angry. I'm hot. With, my wrath is hot, burning hot right now. Let, let me at him, Moses. Let me at him. Moses is like, no, 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 no. Don't do it. Don't do it. Save it. Don't, don't destroy your people. Remember you said, Lord, remember? And God's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then after, when Moses finally saw it, when he saw what God saw, he became hot and angry. He became, his anger became hot, it says here, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. This is a picture of God coming down from heaven and being angry because of all the sin that he sees on earth. And he casts the word of God, Yeshua, down and breaks him on the cross. We know that in the book of Psalms, it speaks about the crucifixion as if it's a breaking of the, of the man who is being crucified, of the man who's being punished in this way. It's like being smashed to pieces. It's like it's a breaking. Verse 20, then he took the calf, which they made, burned it with fire and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, do not let your anger, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. Notice he calls his brother my Lord. You know the people, you know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Okay, so why did why did Mo Moses burn the gold and grind it to powder and basically get them to drink it or eat it? Well, and one of the reasons is that if this gold is defiled, okay, this is, uh, we spoke about familiar objects before, about objects that, that actually, that link to spiritual things, uh, spirits. This particular object became linked to an, uh, a very evil spirit being worshipped as a god. And so because of that, that gold was not to be used for the building of the temple. 
could not be used. It would defile the temple to use that gold. So that's why it was burned. That's why it was ground to powder in person in 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 uh, cast in the water, and the people, uh, the the children of Israel drank it. No one's going to be using that gold anymore, if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you know what I mean, after you've consumed it, uh, you're not going to be panning for gold. I tell you, after that, you're just not going to be. So Moses said, and I said to this people, to, to them, uh, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, it just it just happened. It just it just appeared. That's all. It just like we know it says earlier very clearly that Aaron fashioned it. But he's like, Moses, I didn't do it. I, almost like that, you know. You know what I mean? Not not in those words, but it's like, no, it's just like I just I just threw this the gold into the fire, and and all of a sudden the calf came out. Okay, Moses. I mean, okay, Aaron. Okay. Verse twenty five. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Moses for Aaron had not restrained them. See, it's 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 important for people to be restrained. For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood. Now, you see, let me just back up here. For those of you, if there's any politicians listening right now, it's, it's, it's very important that the people are restrained from sin. That's, that's, it's very, very important. That the people are restrained from sin. That's what the law is, that's what the law is for. Okay, that's what the law of God is for. And the, the better the laws of the land are, the, more, the closer they, are, they get to the law of God. And vice versa, the closer, the closer the laws of the land are to the laws of God, the better they are. Verse 26, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Say, okay, every, you know, whosoever will here, whosoever will. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword in, on his side and go in and out from, the, from entrance to entrance through the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his, his companion and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. A little side note here. Notice that the it's always the people, it's the sons of Levi, it's the Levites, the priests that do these kind of things, okay? It's the Levites who wage the war. It's the Levites who are the priests. It's the Levites who are the like the musicians, so to speak. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now, before I go too far, so this is like the opposite. This is like an inversion of what happened in, in Acts chapter 2 because it says 3,000 people were saved that day, whereas 3,000 people lost their lives this day. So in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God 
comes and fills the people. They become born again. The new covenant, the, the Torah written on their hearts, and 3,000 are saved. Okay? And then, you know, juxtaposed to that is Exodus chapter 32 that we're just reading, uh, that says that, well, basically in, in context, it is... It's, the, it's not the opposite, but it's very similar in the sense that you have God coming down on Mount Sinai, writing his Torah on the stone tablets, just as God came down in Acts chapter 2 and wrote his law on their hearts. He wrote the law on their stone tablets, came down, Moses came down, 3,000 people lost their life in Exodus, 3,000 people were saved in Acts, and that would be in, let's see here, just a second here, Yeah, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. That's what it is right there. And they gladly received his word and were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. About 3,000 souls. Okay, so continuing with Exodus chapter 32, verse 29. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his neighbor, or excuse me, and his brother. Sometimes it says that God consecrates you, consecrates you or sanctifies you. Other times it says you're supposed to do it yourself. Right? So we can't get lazy in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes we have to do it ourselves. Sometimes we have to say, we have to do whatever we can do, and then God will do the rest. Verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin, and I have made them and have made themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Let me stop there for a second. God is, excuse me, Moses is praying to God that God forgives their sin. There's no sin sacrifice here. There's no sin sacrifice here. Moses is just praying to God that he would forgive their sin. And he says, if you don't forgive their sin, charge that sin to me. Let me, I want to bear the, the burden of that sin. I want to be punished for that sin, not them. And you know what God says to that, as he's always said. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. 
No one can take the punishment for your sin. Each The soul who sins will die, as it says in uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. But Moses said here in Exodus chapter 32, verse 33, uh, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go and lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for when I visit for punishment, I will punish, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. And again, let me just make this this is a very important point as well. Never in the scriptures do you ever have a plague, a pestilence, a disease, or anything of such that comes upon the world without it being that of God. It is something that God initiates, at least. It is, it is part of, it's part of God unleashing his wrath. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who experiences the fallout from these pestilences or plagues or anything of the, of the sort, that they are the ones who are guilty. I'm not saying that. They are just ones that experience the fallout of it. Okay? That it happens. So don't get me wrong. But it is... It is a fact, according to the scriptures, according to Tanakh, actually, according to the whole entire Bible, including the New Testament. God is always behind these things. God's always behind these things. And it just just doesn't, it's not like it just happens. Exodus chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will go up in your midst. Excuse me, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Wow. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Because God here tells Moses, he commands them to go, he commands him to go to the land flowing with milk and honey, because he's like, I promised your descendants, I promised the descendants of Israel that I win the land, so go get the land. But I'm not going with you. I will not go up in your midst, or else I'll consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. Hmm. Wow. God is pretty fed up, isn't he, here? Believe me, he's fed up today, too, with the sins of the world. Verse 4, And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. God God doesn't sweet talk them, does he? There's no sweet talk here. No seeker-sensitive here, right? 
<laughs> Say to the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. You're stubborn. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. Ornaments here in the footnote being jewelry. That's very reminiscent of uh, of um, what happened there in the you know the late 1930s uh, to the Jewish people, isn't it? Take off your jewelry because uh, you know I, I'm telling you this is it's like a it's it's what can I say? Verse six. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Very interesting, I tell you. Verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now, let me just go. Let me just go here. Before I read on, I need to just take a step back here and, and talk about something else here before we go on. God made it very clear. He made it very clear that he is not going to go with his people. I'm not going to go up in your midst, he says. Right? Now, if God was omnipresent, why would he say such a thing? Why would he tell Moses, you, you take the children of Israel to the promised land. I'm not going with you. You take them to the promised land because I, after all, I promised them that their descendants will inherit the land. So you go. I'm not going. If he was omnipresent, this whole thing makes no sense. If he was omnipresent, in, in, in the sense that if he was everywhere at the same time, because there'd be no such thing as, as a place without, without his presence. Now, I know in some, some, and for sure people would say, well, Psalm 139, you know, it says that, you know, God's everywhere, basically. But it doesn't, nece- it doesn't necessarily say that explicitly. He's, Psalm 139 is, is written by David. And David said, if I go up to heaven, you are there. If I, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the world, the earth, you are there. Why would God follow him around that way? It, it, like, it doesn't necessarily mean that he is always, it doesn't, doesn't say explicitly that he is everywhere all the time at the same time. But that's because David is anointed by God. The Spirit of God is with David. So that's why it doesn't matter where he goes, God's still there because God is with David. If you follow me, that doesn't mean that God is with Joe Blow that lives across the street. That means God is with David. And that's a lot of people don't uh, don't uh, understand that. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass, I I mean, you know what, I got to stop here for a second again. Church should be called this, not necessarily in these words, but at least in practice. Any so-called church, any building that people go to to attend 
a service of uh, of Christian service. It should be a place that you go to to meet God, not to meet, you know, Uncle Jack, that old Uncle Jack, man, he's 90 some odd years old. And, you know, his, you know, he laid the, the, the cornerstone of this church. Not to meet your friends or your church buddies. Not because of it's just tradition, but rather a church should, if, if, you know, I hate to, I hate to call church a, or church a place because church is a people, not a place, but you know what I mean? The building of worship should be a place that people go to to meet God. Period. It should be called a place of meeting, a tabernacle of meeting, a building of meeting, whatever you want to call it, an auditorium of meeting to meet God. That's what it should be called. Because that's what it should be. That should be the function of it. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. That's, 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 that's the way it should be, right? If you're looking, if you're seeking God, you go to the place of meeting. Verse 8, so it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people arose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. It's almost like, all rise, all rise. It's like the judge enters the room. Moses enters the tabernacle. Verse 9, And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. So it's like God was waiting for Moses to enter that place. Again, it's not... See, the pillar of cloud was a... Um, a sign of God's presence. Right? So, pillar of cloud wasn't everywhere. Verse 10. And uh, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Okay, so this is basically what it says in Numbers chapter 12 as well. No other prophet no other person spoke to God this way, right? God spoke to prophets, you know, in in dreams and visions and impressions and all kinds of, you know, as as Paul said, as if you're looking through a dark glass, not clearly, but Moses and God were face to face. God spoke to Moses clearly. And we'll get to that in Numbers chapter 12, Lord willing. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, uh, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Well, I don't think I would either. Verse 12, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you... You have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if, notice, there's no presumption here. It's very humble. If I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way 
that I may know you, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Now, this is the passage that I was speaking about earlier. This is the passage that just captivated me. When I read about it, when I read this shortly after I got saved in the early 90s, and I read this, it's like, wow, Moses, consider what he experienced. Like, he was saved as a baby miraculously by the Lord. God was with him in, in such a powerful way. He experienced the burning bush. He experienced the ten plagues of Israel, the rod becoming a serpent and becoming a rod again. And, and he's, he experienced firsthand how God delivered his people out of Egypt with an outstretched heart, arm and a mighty hand. He experienced the power of God like no one, who else on earth experienced the power of God like that? He went up Mount Sinai and experienced the power of God so <sighs> extravagantly. So much so that he saw he he spoke to God face to face, not like any other person ever in history. With the possible exception of perhaps Yeshua, but I mean, I'm talking about any other prophet. He experienced God in a way that most people would love to experience God, at least most believers. Speaking to God face to face. Nothing is, I mean, everything is crystal clear. You hear from God, crystal clear. You see God, crystal clear. The pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, all of the wonders and miracles and power that he experienced up until this point. And yet, Yet he's humble enough to say, I pray, oh God, if I found grace in your sight. See, Christians, I know a lot of Christians. I know a lot of Christians who have not even experienced one one thousandth of what Moses has experienced. And they are presumptu very presumptuous. I am, I, I am a, recipient, a, re a recipient of God's grace. I receive the grace of God. Yes, God has grace. God loves me. And in his mercy is poured. And in and, and the grace of, I am a recipient. I am a vessel of mercy. I'm a vessel of grace. Christians regularly confess these kind of things in presumption, in arrogance, in pride. Moses, after all that he has experienced, where people, some people, people wouldn't even be able to live through what he lived through. It was so powerful with God. And yet he is so humble enough to say, Lord, I pray 
I'm begging you, if, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. What? What? You've heard the voice of God. You come down from Mount Sinai. You've received the commandments from Mount Sinai. You saw God face to face. Very, very powerful. The pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, the earthquake, the glory, the fire. Going 40 days without food and water because God sustains you. A man who walked with God. Yet you say to God, after after all that, you say, I pray, if I've found grace in your sight, show me your way. You see how powerful that is? No presumption there. Yet there's so many Christians who believe that they claim to know all this stuff. They claim that they have the grace of God on them already. They claim that they know the way of of God's ways. They know God's ways already. Yet they did not experience hardly anything. They were they hardly they were hardly even born compared to what Moses experienced, compared to what Moses knew. First-hand experience, by the way, not hearing it from somebody else. Show me your way, Moses prays, that I may know you. Oh, more that I may know you. After all he has been through, Moses is still crying out, God, I want to know you. Why? Because he knows that he doesn't know. <laughs> he knows that he doesn't know. Because he's experienced so much of God that he knows that there are there's so much more to experience that he doesn't know. It's like he doesn't even know God. Yet we have pompous, arrogant, presumptuous Christians walking around today claiming to know God. And they're nowhere near the caliber of Moses. They're nowhere near the spiritual caliber of Moses. Yet they claim to know God. Moses was here begging God to know him. God, I want to know you. Begging God for grace. Not confessing. He wasn't the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it kind of person. He was begging God. And I dare say again, the Christians of today 
are nowheres near the spiritual caliber of Moses. And yet they think they know. Yet they think they know God. Yet they think they know God's ways. Yet they think they have God's grace. So much more to learn, people. So much more to learn. So much more to experience. So much more. So much more for us. And you know, I think that God is like, He is a very loving and merciful Heavenly Father. He enjoys playing with His children. And I'm not saying this in a flippant way. He enjoys revealing Himself to His children. It's almost like a game of hide and seek. It says clearly that God hides Himself. Like, and we, we are to seek him. And I believe the Father is very, very overjoyed when we do find him and, and when we do experience him. And we want to spend more time with him and we want to know him more. It's very important, super important. But think about this for a minute. I mean, we could spend, we could just stop here and meditate on this all, all night. And this is something, if you have not meditated on this before, please do so. If you're listening to a replay or a live, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue, we'll read on. But think about this in your own personal time. Think about this. Think about what we were talking about tonight. It's so important to always be hungry for God, to be thirsty for more. Because if you're not hungry, you're not going to see, you're not going to look for more of that spiritual food. And if you're not thirsty, you're, gonna, you're not going to look for more of that water of the word and of the spirit. And you know, we do need it. We all need it. And you guys, you can, everyone within, within the sound of my voice, you can take what we're talking about tonight. You can take it, apply it to your own life, and you can, you can teach it. You can lead other people. You can change the world. You guys can change the world. An old acquaintance of mine used to always say, one with God is a majority. In other words, if you, if you feel like you're just alone with God, one with God is a, is a majority. One with God is a majority. Let's read on. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. And he said, God said to Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? Just after God said, I'm not going to go with you. Now, sometimes there may come a time in your, in your, in your walk with the, with the Lord that you do not sense his presence, that you think he's, he's left you. And he maybe he did. 
I know that may shock some of you because you got these name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. People say, no, 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 he didn't leave you. He said, I'll be with you to the end. God's always with you. Um, not so fast. Okay, Not so fast. Check out the context. I know people who have said that they, myself included, where I, you feel like it's like the Lord left you. It's like the Lord left you. And that sparks a desire within you to seek more of him. You want him back. And with that desire, with, with those prayers, with that seeking God, you do get him back and much more. God said to Moses to begin with, I'm not going to go with you guys. You guys are stiff-necked, stubborn people. I'm not going with you. But Moses captivated God's heart. Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to captivate God's heart? Don't you want to... Don't you want him to say things to you that even go over and above what he said before? Like, for example, this, God said to Moses, you go, you can take the land. I'll give you that, but I'm not going to go with you. Then Moses says what he just said here. And, and God, once again, says, okay, Moses, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. There's no rest for the wicked, but there's rest in the presence of God. That's why we got to seek God. We got to seek God. We got to keep seeking Him. We got to keep an earnest desire. We got to never, never come to the place where you think you've reached it. You have attained. Even, um, even Paul, the apostle, as, as much as he's worshipped and, you know, all that kind of thing in, in Christian circles, even he said, not that I've attained to it. I'll show you. Even the resident, like, This is Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him. Again, this is Paul. And he's actually saying kind of like the same thing as Moses said there, that he wants to know God. Remember, people, you're reading, when you're reading Paul's letters, you're reading someone who says that he, he wants to know God. He's, he's not saying that he does. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I made it, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. He's talking about the the blessing, uh, the future blessing for the righteous, when the righteous will will be raised incorruptible. And then he says, "Not as though I had already attained." So he he what he's saying is, I didn't, I did not attain this yet. I don't know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and in being made conformable unto his death. I don't really, I didn't really attain that yet. Not as though I had already attained. Okay, so very, very similar. See, we need to always keep in mind 
that we need to be humble and seek God with all of our heart. Pray always. God will will pleasantly surprise you, just like how he surprised Moses here. Pleasantly surprise, surprise you. When, when you hear this kind of thing, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What more can you ask for? Verse 15. Then he said to him, if you're, okay, Mo, this is something, this is awesome as well. So Moses speaks to God now. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Okay, so again, if it is, if God is everywhere, all the time, omnipresent, what's up with this? Moses obviously does not believe that the presence of God is everywhere. Moses obviously should know God well enough to know where he is and where he is not. Moses said, if your presence does not go up with us, do not bring us up from here. In other words, don't send us out unless your presence goes with us. A lot of Christians today, they would say like one of the most fundamental things to believe about God is that he's everywhere. Is that really what the scriptures teach? Is that what this is teaching us? If it is, Moses has no clue. Or Moses does have a clue and the common narrative is not so accurate. Verse 16, for how then... Will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight? So in other words, how um, in other words, it's your presence, Lord. It's the presence of God that that proves your grace is upon us. Right? So Moses said to God, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? Right? To have the, the presence of God is a very, it's a very, very awesome thing. It's a very, very awesome thing. It, 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 it proves that God, God's grace is with you. It proves that God is for you. Not everybody has this, this presence. Not everybody has this presence. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So again, in in context here, they are separate. In other words, separate is very, uh, the word holy means separate, set apart. So what Moses is saying here is that they are holy because of God's presence with them, not like anybody else on the face of the earth. That's what that's the, the the that's what marks that's what uh, that's the distinction. That's what makes the distinction right there. The presence of God, not their head knowledge, 
not even their past experiential knowledge, but rather their present, the presence of God with them here and now. Verse, let me see here, verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So once again, see, it's like Moses, God is giving Moses everything Moses asked for up to this time. And he said, please show me your glory. Wow. What a what a request by Moses to the Lord. What a request by Moses. Please show me your glory. Show me your beauty. Show me your goodness, in other words. Verse 19, then he, that is God, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to you, to, excuse me, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In other words, God says, I'm going to be, I'm going to give grace to whoever I choose. I'm going to be compassionate to not just anybody, but the ones I choose. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you stand on the rock. So it shall be when my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Exodus 34. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two, two, uh, two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the first, excuse me, the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Neither, let neither the flocks or herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him, he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Let me just stop here for a second. So that whenever you see this, the Lord in capitals like this, capitals, capital O, capital capital L O R D, um, it it uh, in the original Hebrew it is the Yod Hey Wow Hey or Yod Hey Vav Hey, depending on whether you're reading modern Hebrew or ancient Hebrew. Uh, and that is an it's really it's an acronym which means who was and is and is to come. So basically, the Lord was said that he is, he was, he is to come. He is Elohim, the God, the, the power 
merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And this is not, this is where they get the idea of generational curses. Okay, this is the this is uh, the reason why it's important to confess sins of your forefathers if if you possibly can confess those sins before the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive. Verse eight. So Moses made haste. In other words, he didn't waste any time. He, he hurried and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. I, I see himself probably putting his face right on the ground. Then he said, if now, if now I have found grace in your sight, even after all this, be, even after all this, Moses is still praying, if I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray you, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and sin in our sin and let us and excuse me and take us as your inheritance beautiful prayer isn't it beautiful beautiful wow that's amazing he's still praying for grace and for the presence of god and for his mercy verse 10 he said behold this is God speaking to Moses. Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels. In the footnote, that word marvels, wonderful acts. Wonderful acts reminds me of what Jesus said, what people will do in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. A lot of people will do wonderful, marvelous acts, marvels in, in, in the name of Jesus. Yet, because of their sin, Jesus will re, uh, reject them. So God says to Moses, before your people, I will do marvels, wonderful acts, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do to you, or do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. So let me just back up here for a second. This, what is this? Uh, how does this apply to us? How, what relevance does this have today for us? Well, these different, the Amorite, Canaanite, Hittite, Perizzite, Am Je uh, Hivite, Jebusite, can be a picture of our enemy, uh, especially spiritually speaking, our enemies. We will, we will get the victory. God will give us the victory. Verse 13, but you shall destroy their altars, break their, their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. A lot of people say God is love, and that is true, but they miss all these other words, don't they? God is a jealous God. God doesn't want you to be 
playing, playing church with him. He's a jealous God. Verse 15, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you and, and you eat of his sacrifice. See, see, God knows peer pressure. God knows, hey, when you get, you got in a certain circumstance, it's so easy to fall into sin because it's like, hey, it's a nice person. You want to, you know, someone invites you, someone offers you something. Hey, you don't want to say no because they're nice. And, you know, God understands that. That's why he says not to tolerate all, any, of the, any of these things. Again, this is Exodus 34, 16. And you take one of his one of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep seven days. You shall eat unleavened bread, as I command you, in the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib, you came out of Egypt. Again, this is, God wants us to remember what God did for us, right? He wants us to remember. And what he did in the past also for his people. Verse 19, all that open the womb are mine. In the footnotes, the firstborn, the firstborn, the firstborn are his. Every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons shall, you shall redeem. And none shall appear before me empty-handed. Hmm. God wants those gifts. Verse 21. Six days you shall work. But on the seventh day you shall rest in plowing in plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks and of the first fruits of wheat harvest, or of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when they go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. In other words, no pride. No pride is allowed. Leaven, leaven represents pride, arrogance. No, nor shall the sacrifice of the, of the feast of Passover be left until morning. We read in the New Testament that that is a picture of how Yeshua was not left until morning. The first, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Okay, so we read this before, uh, and we spoke about this before a few a few days ago, as part of the dietary laws of God. Verse 27, then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets of the words of the covenant 
the Ten Commandments. In the footnote, literally ten words, and that's what I was saying before, because there are a lot more than ten commandments. Well, not a lot more, but there are more than ten commandments within the so-called ten commandments. That's why, really, I mean, literally, it should it should say ten words or ten sayings, not ten commandments. The shining face of Moses. Now it was, it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from Mount Sinai that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with, with him, with God. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. You know what happens, and I've seen this happen too, and this, this can happen to you, that you spend so much time with the Lord, and the Lord's so radiating from you, that people are afraid of you. People are afraid of you. And that's a good thing, because God is real and that reality is just you are you are the evidence of his reality and his glory and it causes people to fear God and reverence and respect God So when uh, excuse me so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. It reminds me, it reminds me that um, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how the New Covenant, the New Testament, is supposed to have more glory and more power, clearer, as it were, than the so-called Old Testament. If that's the case, as New Testament believers, we should be experiencing, we should be, we should be experiencing things that are that are reminiscent, at least reminiscent of what Moses experienced, if not even greater than that. If not even greater than that. So, I mean, it's, it's a very powerful, powerful thing. Let me get to your comments here. Jordan on YouTube says, People get the golden calf story wrong. They didn't worship the calf. They worshiped God in a false manner like the churches do, and yet they still hypocritically finger point at the Israelites. Wow. What an observation, Jordan. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Will Sr. says, Shalom, everyone. 
Shalom, Will. Welcome. Eric says, I need this right now. Awesome, Eric. You know what? It's like God has a word for everybody. I mean, I I used to, like when I used to go to church, I remember, <laughs> I remember listening to the sermon and I would get things from the sermon. Like, it's like God would speak to me through the sermon. Things that I don't even think the pastor even knew what, what, what God used, you know, what God spoke to me through, through that sermon and other people too. It's like, wow, you know, what a word, like, this is what I got from it. No, in everybody else is like, I didn't get it. Like, I didn't get that. I didn't get anything like that. People get different things. I remember this one time I attended this one church and they had like a Bible study kind of midweek meeting. And I would, I would go there and afterward I would, you know, the pastor would shake, he would stand at the, at the door to, you know, uh, shake people's hands as they would leave. And I remember after the, after he did his little teaching, I don't even remember what it was that he taught, to be honest with you. I don't even remember what it was. But he taught something, read some scripture and taught something. And I, and I said, wow, pastor, that was, that was awesome. That really, that really hit me. You know, I hit the, hit the, hit the spot. And he's like, he looked at me like shocked, like, And I thought to myself, isn't that something you should expect instead of be, you know, surprised? You shouldn't be surprised. You should expect that. KMJJ says, Shalom all. Shalom, KMJJ. Welcome. The, the second first says, Shalom all. Shalom. Good to see you. Caballero says, hello, Christopher. Now that you mentioned prayer, reminded me of Proverbs 28, 9. One who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even as prayer is an abomination. Oh, is that ever good? That is so good. Thank you for pulling that out again. Thank you. Awesome. Eric says, so powerful. Yes. 1 John 2, 26. If they kill the 3,000 as a sort of capital punishment, then what was the plague for? In other words, what was the the, decide, the deciding factor as to who the Levites slew? So the 3,000 they slew are the ones that were willingly against God, and they didn't, they didn't want to be on the Lord's side. They're like, I'm done with the Lord. I'm not on the Lord's side. They were saying that by the fact that they didn't even come to, to Moses. So they're the ones that got... They're the ones that got the lights out, right? Whereas the other ones, even though they committed the sin, they were repentant, but yet they still had, there, there still was a there still was a price to pay. Almost like how David, uh, when he committed adultery, and he did repent, uh, but yet he, there was a big price that he still paid for that, right? He uh, he lost his child over that, and it was a big price he paid. So sometimes the consequence is still there, even though you're forgiven in a sense. And I'm not saying that's the, that's the case every every time, but uh, in certain in certain circumstances, in certain contexts, that's the way it is. Eric says, I read Numbers 12 this afternoon. Aaron and Miriam got rebuked. That is crazy. Yeah, awesome, awesome. It seems like, you know, that God is just setting things up. Like you just read it. We're talking about it tonight. It's just like God is really setting setting things up. So it's like really, really um, uh, resonating with you. And uh, I mean, that's the way God works. 
Yeah, Numbers chapter 12 is very, very awesome. Very awesome. A lot of Christians don't understand Numbers chapter 12. And the thing about Numbers chapter 12, as well as what we read, like Numbers chapter 12 kind of refers back to what we just read tonight in the sense that Moses speaks with God face to face. But Numbers chapter 12 makes it clear that Moses is the only one that that happened. Nobody else, no other prophet was like that. And that's the reason why, from a Jewish point of view, Okay, that's the reason why the Jews and let's say, for example, the Samaritan uh, Israelites and the Sadducees as well. That's the reason why they counted the books of Moses to be of much greater authority than any of the other any of the other prophets because of the way that God spoke to Moses. And also because of the fact that uh, Exodus chapter 19, that God spoke to Moses in the presence and in you know in the sight and in and in the hearing of all of the rest of the millions of people that were there i mean it was millions of witnesses nobody you know nobody questioned moses when he came down from the mountain if he you know nobody had to moses didn't have to prove himself he didn't have to prove himself to be a real prophet everybody knew he was everybody knew it was right there right before their eyes they Proof was right there. Whereas all the rest of the prophets, they didn't have that. They didn't, number one, they didn't speak to God face to face. Number two, God didn't speak to them publicly. God spoke to them privately. So they had to go through some kind of a canonization process in order for their works, their words, their books to be accepted as truth. And, they, and for them to be accepted as a true, as a, as a true prophet. So there are there is a hierarchy in the scripture. Uh, that's why the Jewish people call the Old Testament the Tanakh, T N K. It is uh, it's an acronym. In it's in that order too. It's the hierarchy. T N K. T being the very top, which is the Torah or the books of Moses, and that's at the top for those reasons, because of how Moses spoke to, to because of how God spoke to Moses publicly and face to face like no like no one else under that is the nevi'im right the prophets they don't have the same authority as Moses because the word that they got was not they didn't get that word god didn't speak to them in the, in the same way as they spoke to Moses it wasn't publicly and it wasn't face to face so their books are under in they're, they're they're lower down the hierarchy. Under that is the the uh, Ketavim, the K. So we've got T N K Tanakh, the Ketavim, being like uh, what the Christians would call the historical books or the books of wisdom or you know like Chronicles and Esther and Kings and these kind of things. Um, that's on the bottom, being the lowest in authority. So it's all based upon Numbers chapter twelve and the fact of what we just read earlier of how. Moses received the word of God and how he spoke to God. Jordan says this is why he gives grace to the humble. Yes. Wow. See, that's, that's, and that's why Moses got so much grace from God because of his, because of his humility. Everybody claims the grace of God, or at least they, they want to claim the grace of God. But God does not promise his grace 
to be poured out on everybody. He said, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So there are conditions there. Excuse me, there are conditions. Um, if you want the grace of God, you must be humble. The word opposes in the original has a connotation of God fighting against you as it setting himself up and in battle array against you. So he opposed, in other words, literally speaking, it says in the scriptures, God sets himself up in battle array against the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. So that's very, very powerful. JC, good to see you, brother. Shalom, everyone, he says. I'm missing a lot because I'm in California, three hours behind. I have to catch up in the morning. Good to see you, brother. Hope, hope all is going well. Okay, so that will be it for tonight. Same time, same place tomorrow, Lord willing. That is 7 p.m. Eastern. And uh, we'll pick up where we left off, and that is the... Uh, Sabbath regulations. This is going to be an interesting talk as well. Uh, Exodus chapter 35 and and thereafter. So yeah, we're going to be talking about all this stuff. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting things. So guys, as always, it's been a blessing um, fellowshipping with you. Thank you guys for your questions and your comments. You guys are awesome as always. And those of you on TikTok as well, thank you very much. I appreciate all you guys. So I'll see you guys tomorrow night. All right. Until tomorrow, as always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.